The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. So let's uh, read Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has now realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we submit ourselves to the truth of your word. So, Lord, I pray if if there there be busy hearts right now, just anxious or busy minds, Lord, I pray that you would calm our spirits. Calm our spirits so that we are sensitive to your spirit and what he would teach us this morning, what he would convict us of this morning, what he would challenge us in this morning. And so we pray now that you would do a supernatural work and that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word this morning. We pray this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, our text this morning, in many ways, it's a summation of the first two chapters. And so even as I read that, maybe you have heard some of the similar themes that we have been walking through in our study of Ephesians. And so listen, church, I'm not the only one who repeats myself. The Apostle Paul, he intentionally repeats himself in this passage to remind you of this truth and to prepare us for what's about to come next, the gospel prayer that Paul uh, soon will pray for the Ephesians and therefore uh, us today. And so many of us, uh, we are drawn to a good mystery story, aren't we? Whether, whether it's a mystery novel, a mystery show, mystery movie, or even a mystery game. Uh, it, raise of hands, uh, hopefully, hopefully somebody has. Has anybody played the game Clue? 
in this room. Okay, good. Okay, we have some people who have played the game Clue. Right? In, in this game Clue, you try to figure out uh, whether, it was the, whether it was Professor Plum with the candlestick or Colonel Mustard with the lead pipe who, who, uh, who did the murder, right? Uh, it's it separately one of the most recurring memories of my childhood. It involved an older mystery show called Diagnosis Murder. Uh, and the main characters is this guy named Dr. Sloan, uh, which is played by Dick Van Dyke, and his son, both his show son and his son in real life. Uh, uh, so it's the doctor and an LAPD detective. And, and so this show usually begins with a mysterious murder, and then the suspense builds throughout until finally Dr. Sloan aids his son in discovering who done it, right? Who did the murder? Well, unfortunately, though, growing up, uh, my bedtime was at 930 and the show aired from nine to 10. So I never got to figure out who actually did it in the in the end. Uh, it, it always remained a mystery uh, for me. Uh, but but many of us, we like a good mystery, right? With the drama, the suspense, the cliffhangers, the plot twists and the plot turns. And then finally, the resolution. When the mystery is solved, the unknown is made known. The concealed is revealed in the enigma is made plain. What Webster Dictionary it defines mystery as something not understood or beyond understanding, something that's profound, inexplicable, or secretive in quality or character. And so this is how we often understand a mystery, right? Whether it's some mysterious scientific phenomenon such as the dark matter in our universe or mysterious historical conspiracies, like, like who is the real D.B. Cooper, uh, or, or how was Stonehenge built? And, and what really is going on at Area 51, right? With these mysteries, they contain a vital piece of information that, that's either unknowable, incomprehensible, or concealed from public knowledge. And, and so without this key knowledge, this necessary insight, the whole thing, it remains shrouded in mystery, but, but while these mysteries, they are incomprehensible, and while only maybe a select few know these mysteries are privy to the secrets of these mysteries, whether it be governmental things, uh, the mystery we will discuss this morning, it, it varies greatly from our English understanding of this word. The Christian mysteries that we see here in our text, the, the mysteries of Scripture, yes, they are beyond human discovery. No human can know the gospel on his or her own. But while these mysteries are beyond human discovery, while they can't originate from self-discovery, they are not beyond human comprehension. And they are not reserved only to a select few theologians within the church. No, these mysteries that Paul speaks of in our passage, they have now been revealed to, to us today by God. And they're openly made available to the church, to everyone trusting in Christ. And so if you have the spirit of God living within you, then you have all the wisdom needed to discern and to understand the mysteries of the gospel that has been made known to us in his word. And so this morning, we're going to look at two key themes in our text. You'll see on the screen first the mystery of the church. And then after that, we are going to look at the mission of the church, so both the mystery and the mission of the church. And so I, I've mentioned this a little bit in previous sermons, but one of my favorite activities is, is to climb 14ers in Colorado. And granted, the, the 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 pace at which I'm able to do this has lessened since having kids now. Uh, but but 14ers, they are mountains where uh, the summit is over 14,000 
feet. And so depending on who's counting, there's between 53 and 58 of these mountains in Colorado. And I've been able to summit 10 or 11 of them. Uh, I lost count a little bit. But, the, but when you hike these mountains, it's important, right, that you have a map to both navigate your way, but equally as important as a map, if not more important, uh, are what these things, they're called cairns. So these cairns, they're located along the path, and there's these piles of rocks that people have piled together uh, at different key waypoints along the trail to highlight where the path is. It keeps These cairns help to keep you on the trail. And these can be and have been literally lifesavers for me. Another story for another time. Uh, but our, morning, our text this morning, it provides us some of these cairns, some of these waypoints, some words that are going to help navigate us through our passage And these are words such as mystery, revelation, made known, gospel, and grace. And so as we're reading through and as we're working through our passage, be sure to hone in and key in on those words. And and so just as a side note, church, our text this morning, it gives us a good principle for when we personally read our own Bibles. And that's this recurring words in a passage. They clue us in on what is the main point of that passage. And so this morning we will see how these recurring words, how they all come together, how they combine to show us again what is both the mystery and the mission of the church. And so first the mystery of the church. Notice with me how this mystery was made known to us. Paul says in verse 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And so I want to pause real quick before we continue on and, and, and talk about something that's called the doctrine of special revelation. The doctrine of special revelation. So listen, it, this won't be a theology class this morning, but, but this is an important, a vital doctrine for your life as a Christian. And, and so listen, while it's true that God has revealed himself to us through his creation, uh, we, right, we see God's glory made known to us and his existence made known to us in, in the starry nights and in the sunsets in the sky. And, and we know God's existence by, by his moral law that he has written upon our consciences. And so through God's revelation, through his general revelation in his creation, we can know something of God's existence, of his power and of his glory. And so Paul would say separately in Romans chapter one, that what has been known about God, it's plain to us because God has shown it to us. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We, we can know something about God in his creation. We can know that he exists and that we are accountable to him. Such that Paul would say at the very end of verse 20 in Romans 1 that they are without excuse. All people know something of God. God has revealed to all men everywhere a general knowledge of himself. But all men and women everywhere have rejected this knowledge and have disregarded God as their creator and as their sustainer. And and so this general revelation, it's not the kind of revelation that Paul is talking about in verse 3 of chapter 3. Because while general revelation, it can give us something we know about God. One cannot know about the incarnation, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ just through creation alone. This knowledge that we need for salvation to truly know God, this is called special revelation. 
And that's what Paul is referring to here in verse 3. The special revelation that we have is given to us in this book, both Old and New Testament. And so if you remember our passage two weeks ago, we, we learned that our faith is built upon the teachings of the, both the apostles and the prophets with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, bringing unity to both the Old and the New Testaments. And so God has revealed himself to us in a special and saving way through the writings of his holy word. God, God has inspired the human authors of the Bible to write the very words of God to us. And, and so another big word, church. And, and so the reason why I'm sharing this with you, A, we'll, we'll get to it so that way you can be encouraged in the veracity of God's word. But then B, so that you can communicate to others what we believe as a church. This, this believing that, that God's word is the inspired word of God, it's called the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture, which means that God supernaturally, he guided human authors and he communicated his word to them in such a way that when they wrote, God himself wrote. Their writings were God-breathed, inspired by God. And so every word in scripture is there because God has purposed for it to be there. And therefore, that means that every part of scripture from Leviticus to Luke, and we've been reading through the book of Leviticus, right? If you're reading with us in our two-year Bible reading plan, uh, we're reading through the book of Leviticus right now. But from Leviticus to Luke, it is all equally divine in origin, and therefore it is equally authoritative for our lives today. Now, granted, we are to understand and interpret every passage of Scripture in light of the coming of Jesus and his gospel. So we read the book of Leviticus differently today than, than, than people did thousands of years ago before Christ's coming. Because now we read Leviticus as Christian Scripture. And we see how the book of Leviticus and primarily how it's building to that day of atonement in Leviticus 16. How that points us to the ultimate day of atonement that we will celebrate this Friday. Good Friday. Paul would say in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture, it's breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so finally, just to hammer this home, our own Baptist faith and message, which is our church's statement of beliefs. And if you, just as a side note, if you haven't read that before, or if it's been a really long time uh, since you've read through the Baptist faith and message, it's on our website. And I encourage you just to, to read through it. It will take you maybe 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes to read through. But it, it'll be a good refresher for what we believe as a church and therefore what, we, what you uh, believe as well as a member of this church. But but the Baptist Faith of Message, it says it this way that the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and it's God's revelation of Himself to mankind. It, it's a perfect treasure of divine instruction, and it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, it says all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. And so why do I work through all of that? Uh, again, we're not in theology class this morning, but it's important. So because before we continue, I want you to be reminded and encouraged that church, you can trust this book, God's holy word. It is inerrant. It is infallible and it is sufficient for life and for practice. It is God's special revelation given to us today. 
So listen, church, I want to encourage you. We are to read God's word. We are to study God's word. We are to know God's word. We are to believe God's word. And we are to obey God's word. Because it is through this word that God still speaks to us today by his Holy Spirit. So church, as a, as a church, may we collectively recommit ourselves to submit to scripture as our source for absolute truth, as our North Star, as we navigate cultural issues today, as the ultimate authority for our life, and as our rule for faith and practice. This mystery that Paul speaks of, this mystery, it was made known to Paul through special revelation, and therefore it made known to us today through special revelation, through God's word. Let's read verse 5. Where Paul says this, that this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Again, it was by the Spirit of God showing Paul this truth, this revelation that we have it today. Well, enough already, right? Enough of the suspense. What is this mystery that Paul speaks of? Let's get to it already and let's figure it out. And, Paul, and you can see Paul, right? He's a good author. He, he, he introduces this mystery, and then he starts building the suspense throughout this passage. And it's not until verse 6 that, we, that Paul reveals what this mystery is. And so let's read it together. Paul says this, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, okay, I know, I know some of you this morning, after hearing the suspense built up and after having prepared yourself for something astounding, right? Jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping insight. You may have just experienced a little bit of a letdown. And you may be thinking, if you're honest, that's it? That's the mystery? Seriously? Well, today, I think oftentimes we take our salvation for granted. And we take for granted the access that we now have to God's word. And so for us to really understand the astounding reality of this mystery now revealed, we need to put ourselves into the sandals of first century Jewish Christians. You see, for thousands of years prior to Christ's coming, the Gentile people, they were not part of the people of God, right? You remember the sermon from two weeks ago. And therefore, Gentiles, they did not have access to the promises of salvation from God. And notice that phrase, partakers of promise. And so this calls us back to the Abrahamic covenant where God covenants with Abraham to make his family, his tribe, and his people great by, by, by giving him, uh, Abraham three promises, right? He promised to give his, uh, Abraham land. He promised to give him descendants as, as far as the, the star, the, uh, as great as the stars of the sky and as the, the, the grains of sand. And he promised it that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, again, you might be thinking, what's so mysterious about this? Didn't Israel realize that God's salvation would extend through them to the entire earth one day? Well, yes, Israel understood this in part, but they didn't know its truth in its fullness. And so maybe to illustrate this point, as you've been reading through the New Testament, maybe, maybe you remember this miracle of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Uh, this miracle of Jesus where he heals this blind man and gives this blind man sight. But, but something is unique about this healing and that there are two parts to it. 
right? If you remember, and, and I remember as a kid, I, I love this story because you know, it says that Jesus spit, right? He spit and he made some mud and, uh, and then he put this mud onto the eyes of this man. And, and, and Jesus, after doing this, he asked the man, do you see anything? And, and the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they're kind of like trees walking. And in other words, I can see in part, but not in full. Everything's still a little bit fuzzy, and so then Jesus laid his hands on the, on the man's eyes again, and, and the man opened his eyes a second time. And in, in this second time, this man's eyesight, it was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He saw in part, but now he saw in full. And so I think this is a good illustration for how Israel understand, understood the covenantal promises of God. They knew that God would use them to bless the whole world because he was, God was very explicit in the, in the Abrahamic covenant, but they didn't truly understand. They, they knew that, that they were to be a light unto the Gentiles in Isaiah 49, that, that God's salvation would reach the ends of the earth, but they didn't know how or when this would take place. In other words, seeing they did not see. Hearing they did not hear. Everything was still a little fuzzy for them. How many of you, uh, how many of you have been looking for something? Maybe, maybe at some point you've been looking for something in the house. You, you can't find it, but then when you do find it, you realize that it was hidden in plain sight. It, it's almost a daily occurrence at our house, right? With Emily or I shouting to one another as we're trying to get out the door. Do you see, do you know where my keys are? Right? Do you know where are my keys? Or, or do you know where my phone is? And then almost every single time, right? They're right on the counter in the kitchen or in some other conspicuous place. They're, they're hidden in plain sight. Similarly, the promises of God's salvation extending, that, 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 that his salvation would extend through Israel to the ends of the earth, they were hidden in plain sight for Israel to see. But the thought, the thought for Israel, the thought of a defiled Gentile, that in their minds, the defiled Gentile being fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the same promises that had been given to Israel, this was unthinkable to them. And so it was incomprehensible to them. And so the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel that Paul talks about here is this, that the sons of Abraham, they aren't those who descend physically from Abraham. Rather, the sons of Abraham, the true Israel, the true people of God, they are those who descend from Abraham spiritually. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul would put it this way when he says, Know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And Paul goes on in Galatians 3 to say that the promises they were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and it does not say offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is the mystery hidden for ages, but now revealed in Christ Jesus. That Gentile and Jew alike, we can all become part of the people of God. And so we won't read it this morning because of time, but I want you to jot down in your notes Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, where Paul would say the same thing in a very similar way. And so picture this with me, church. Picture this with me. For thousands of years, Israel had prided itself on being the recipients of God's covenantal blessings. Israel had prized itself as partaking in all the ceremonial cleansing procedures within the Mosaic law to make themselves pure before God's sight. And Israel had this hope that while Rome was oppressing them militarily, 
that there was coming a day when God would fulfill his promises, his covenantal promises for them, and that he would both liberate his people and that he would bring his wrath to bear upon Israel's enemies. This was the expectation. This was the thought of Israel in that day. And so are you beginning to see a little bit the weight of this astounding mystery when Paul says that the reality of the gospel is this, that some of Israel's current oppressors would soon become, through faith, the same heirs, members, and partakers of this covenantal hope that Israel enjoyed. And so all the prejudice, all the ethnic superiority, all the pride that Israel held, Paul is saying, no, that that is now done away with in the gospel. There is no first-rate and second-rate Christian in the kingdom of God. That there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So listen, everyone who trusts in Christ Jesus by faith, we become grafted into the people of God. And so because of that, we are now part of one singular multi-ethnic people of God. And so again, maybe, maybe you're like, okay, what, what's, the, what's the point of application here, right? What's the point? If you remember, church, I would reckon to say probably 100% of all of us in this room, we are not ethnic, ethnically Jewish, right? We are Gentiles by birth. So without this mystery, without this mystery being revealed to us through God's word, listen, church, and without Christ's atoning death on the cross to reconcile to himself all peoples, we would still be dead in our sins. This has direct application for us today. Indeed, our very salvation hinges and depends upon this mystery now revealed to us through his word. Verse 6, it says that, this, that they become partakers of this promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are saved in Christ. And so last Sunday afternoon, our, our kids that we were playing, uh, they were playing with other kids in the neighborhood. And so uh, whenever the kids are at our house and are playing, uh, I, I try to take the time to, to share with them about Jesus, how Jesus loves them and how, how, how they, can, they can come to know Jesus by, by asking God to forgive them of their sins. And, and so as I was talking to one of, these, uh, one of the neighbor girls uh, about Jesus, this little six-year-old, she responded to me by saying, oh, yes, I love Jesus but I just can't remember his last name. <laughs> and so listen, church, lest we fall into the same air of thinking as this sweet little six-year-old girl, that word Christ, it's not Jesus's last name. It's a title, right, that literally means the anointed one. And this stems from the messianic hope that Israel had. The mystery of the gospel, it's that Messiah and Messiah, if you don't know what that word means, it just means that God, the Messiah is God's promised king to save God's people from their sins. That's what it means, Messiah. That Messiah, he has come not to liberate God's people from a physical oppressor, as Israel thought about that day, but instead he came to liberate God's people from a greater foe. Do you remember Matthew chapter 1, right? You know, go back about four months into Christmas season. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where it says that Jesus, the Messiah, he came to this earth to do what? To save his people, not from Rome, but to save his people from their sins. So is this not good news for us today? 
that through what Christ has done to save us from our sins by dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life through the gospel. We are saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. And one day, church, we will be saved from the very presence of sin itself. Yet not only are we saved from something, our text says, in the gospel, through the gospel, we are saved into something through the gospel as well. Such that now we are fellow heirs. We are members of the same body and we are partakers of the same covenantal promises that God gave to Israel thousands of years ago. We are now, church, members of God's people. And so just three quick points of application uh, uh, to, to apply this truth home. First, I want us to praise God for his grace that he has extended to the Gentile people, to us today. Praise him for his grace. And and then secondly, realize who you now are and what access you have now been given. If you look at with me, verse 12, Paul would say this, that because we are part of the people of God now, now in Christ Jesus, we have boldness and access to God with confidence through our faith in him. We can go boldly to the throne of grace church because now we are not stuck on the outer course. You remember uh, two weeks ago that that physical wall that separated Gentile from Jew such that Gentiles could not get into the holy place of God, much less the outer court. But now in Christ Jesus, we have access to go into the holy of holy places and to commune with God, to fellowship with him and to intercede through prayer because of the blood of Jesus. We have been given access through faith in Christ. And and then thirdly, I I want you to read your Old Testaments in light of this reality that all the promises of God are made available to you today. Now, yes, we do need to be careful students of God's word, right? To understand how these promises apply to us today in light of Christ. But church, I want to encourage you as you read your Bible to avail yourself of all the promises of God. And so when you're reading promises in your Old Testament, right, in the Old Testament, and when you come along upside a promise, underline it, highlight it, memorize it, because that promise is yours. It is written for you. And so let's avail ourselves of the promises of God. And so this next week, uh, in, in it, listen, if you aren't part of the newsletter, um, just let me know. Give me your email, and you can, I can add you to our church's newsletter. I'd be happy to do so. But this next week, now I'm going to preempt it, and I'm going to send it early, but I will send out a resource to you called it's called take words with you and in, in, in this resource it's a pdf and the author has categorized all the promises of god according to topic and so it's a great resource it's a great resource for your prayer life to to use that right when we pray the most powerful way we can pray is when we say father you have said when we pray god's word back to him because listen church he will be faithful to fulfill all of his promises in his perfect timing The mystery is that now God's people, the church, consists of a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. People who are trusting in Jesus, the Messiah of all peoples. Which then leads us to our second point this morning, and that is the mission of the church. Don't worry, this one's shorter. Uh, Don't worry, I'm aware of the time. Uh, But church, listen, what has been revealed to us is now meant to be proclaimed by us today. For the sake of time, we won't read verses 7 through 13 again. But, but in this, 
Paul talks about of his calling as a minister of the gospel in verse 7. And so why was Paul a former blasphemer of Christ and a former persecutor of the church? Why was he made a minister of this gospel? Why was he given great grace? Why did God powerfully work through him in his life? Don't miss this. He was made a minister. He was given great grace and God worked powerfully through him. You see in verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so of the 12 apostles, Paul was coined as the apostle to the Gentiles because God had placed a special calling on him to share the gospel to the Gentile people groups in the world. And so that's why he would say in Romans 15 that that he would not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through him to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And why he didn't want to lay on anybody else's foundation. He wanted to pioneer. He wanted to go out and share the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. So listen, Paul's ambition in life, it wasn't to live for the Roman dream of driving a nice chariot and living in a nice palace. No, it was his ambition, his highest aim, his deepest desire, his fervent commitment to tell others of the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, of his glory and how through him, They can be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, from an eternal destiny in hell to an eternal destiny in heaven, to being from being enemies of God to now being sons and daughters of God, from being separated from God to now being brought near by the blood of Christ. And remember our text a couple weeks ago from being without God in this world to now knowing God in a personal and relational way an intimate kind of way. Paul's ambition in life, it was to tirelessly preach to those without access to the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And so I just want to pause and ask you this morning, what is your ambition in life? Now, understandably, you might initially say, well, this doesn't apply to me, right? Because I'm not an apostle. I'm not, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a preacher. And if I'm not a preacher, how can that word preach in verse 18, how can that apply to me? But don't worry, I'm here this morning to tell you that you're not off the hook here. Because that word preach in verse 8, it doesn't mean that you get your portable sound speaker system and you go preach on the street corner. And it doesn't mean you have to be doing what I'm doing right now, though it can include these things. But that word preach there, it's the verb form of the Greek word which we get gospel today. And so literally Paul is saying that he was giving grace to gospel, to good news, to others, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And so if, as you're reading through the book of Acts, you, you may, you may uh, pick, on this, pick up on this here soon as we're about to start through the book of Acts. But this verb form of gospel, it's used to describe what everyday Christians were doing as they spread throughout the Roman Empire. As they went, they euangelizo, that's the word there. They, they good news, they evangelized people around them by sharing with them the goodness of Jesus and how he can save them from their sins. And so don't confuse that word preach in verse 8 as if you are excluded from applying this passage to your own life. No, God has called every single one of his children. He has called you, church, to euangelizo, to share the good news of Jesus with those who have yet to hear the life-transforming and eternity-changing news that Jesus saves. 
Do you remember last week's sermon where, where we are called to be stewards of God's grace, right? Not quarters of his grace. We are saved to be sent. We are made disciples of Jesus so that we go, therefore, and make disciples of Jesus. And then to make disciples of Jesus among all the nations. Listen, church, this mystery of the gospel, that we can become part of God's people through faith in Christ. While it has been revealed to us in his word, there are still many in our neighborhood. And there are still thousands of unreached peoples in our world today, comprising billions of people who do not know know this good news. It has not been made known to them yet. It has not been revealed to them. And so we have been called today, church, through his word to make this gospel known in our neighborhood and among the nations. I, I shared this with you when I preached in view of a call, but, but I think it bears repeating. Uh, according to a ministry called the Joshua Project, there's around 17,000 people groups in the world. And of these 17,000, roughly 7,000 of them are still unreached with the gospel. In these 7,000, they represent about a little over 3 billion people or 42% of the world's population. And so as we think about lost and unreached, there's a difference between those two, right? Uh, the lost, we would say, the lost don't know Christ, but they have access to the gospel. That would be like the people in our neighborhood, right? They have access to the gospel because we are here in the neighborhood, right? God has commissioned us to share the good news with them. The unreached are lost, but listen, they do not have access to the gospel because no one is actively going to reach them with the news of the gospel. And so I know this number of 3 billion people, right? It's so big. It doesn't mean anything for us today. So, so as I did in, in a few months ago, I'll break it down. 3 billion people, let's just assume 2% are reached, right? So, so that, would, that would get us to, uh, again, over 3 billion people. And, and we'll just assume the mortality rate uh, of a little under 1%. And all of this is conservative uh, calculations. It would still mean that 27 million people will, ha- will die this year. And church, spend an eternity in hell without even having access to the life-giving news of the gospel. Or to break it down a little bit more, 529,000 people this past week, 75,000 people today, 3,200 people this hour, 52 people this minute, and one person every single second spending an eternity in hell apart from Christ without once hearing the remedy for their sin problem, the good news of Jesus. If this is true, and it is, listen, church, we have been entrusted with this mission to go and to make disciples of all nations. As our video said earlier, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. Now, now I know there are many things that compete and vie for our attention and our affections in life. And I know it's easy for us to get bogged down in the cares of this lifetime. But brothers and sisters, this morning, your Lord Jesus is calling you to lift up your eyes and to see that the fields, they are white for harvest. Jesus would say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I want to encourage you to live with a fervent and a focused and a serious and a joyful purpose in life. And that is to see lives transformed by the gospel in our neighborhood and among 
the nations for the glory of King Jesus and for the eternal good of others. So I'll end how I ended last week. How will you invest your life? Will you be like the good stewards, right? They received those five talents and those two talents and then they invested them to produce more. Or will you be like that one servant? And I pray not. Will you be like that one servant who in fear took his one talent, buried it, and as such did not yield any fruit during his lifetime? I want to encourage you, church, to invest your life. Invest your lives to see lives transformed by the gospel. And so I'll close with very quickly two practical applications. First, you can join us this Wednesday as we go out in our neighborhood to meet neighbors and to pray with them, to invite them to Easter service, and to share the good news of the gospel with them. And so if you're not providentially hindered by medical reasons or by work reasons, I really want to encourage you, if you are physically able, I want to encourage you to come join us. Uh, don't worry, we'll have, a, we'll have a meal, we'll have a, some baked potatoes at 6 p.m. And then after that, a, a group of us will stay behind to pray, and then a group of us will go out to share. And so practically, church, this is one way that you can obey God's word this morning. And, and then secondly, I want you to prayerfully consider how God might use you to reach the unreached people groups in our world. I want you to pray and ask how God might invest, how might, God might use you to invest your life to share with people who have no access to the gospel about the unsearchable riches of Christ and how they can become part of God's people. God might be calling you to sacrificially go either short-term or long-term, but he also might be asking you and calling you to give generously, to give sacrificially, and to pray consistently and regularly for the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then finally, I would say, if you don't yet know Christ, if you don't yet know him this morning, and if you've, if you, if you've grown up in church, you, you've done the religious thing, but you don't yet know Christ, I want to extend the invitation to you this morning. Jesus will have you today. If you turn from your sin, and if you trust in him for your salvation, he promises to forgive you of all of your sin and to give you the hope and the promise of eternal life, to give you new life today. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. May we be faithful as New Life Baptist Church to make known the mystery of the gospel in our neighborhood and among the nations. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.